I think this also may be a slight against Azazel too and Pan because Pan was the god of shepherds. There's all this goat imagery that's associated with Azazel all the way down to Pan. I think we're talking about the same entity or at least the legacy of that entity. And so I think that, that, I think that that's a slight against Azazel because at Peneus you've got the good shepherd in the form of Jesus, and then you have the God of Shepherds in the form of Pan sort of squaring off there. I, I think that, that this is the slot to Pan. That this is the slot to Pan. The history of our Earth is so different from what we can imagine. Enjoy the journey. The Smithsonian, that if they found out about a large skeleton somewhere, was to go get it. I'm going to assume at least one person is right, because if one person's right, it busts the paradigm. It all goes back to the fallen chair. And the problem with the modern-day church, they have a very truncated view of the supernatural. This backdrop is just pregnant with all kinds of meaning associated with this Mount Hermon event. And this guy defects from the kingdom. That's a big deal. Welcome back to Blurry Creatures. This week we've got Dr. Judd Burton on the show, Luke, and obviously we're 80s inspired. And uh, on this show, the two most returning guests are Tim Alberino and Dr. Judd Burton. And like a WWF 80s ring, the two will face off and who will get on the most episodes, Luke. That's right. <laughs> will it be Dr. Judd Burton or will it be Tim? I don't know. Hell in a cell. <laughs> <laughs> Except the opposite. That's not the greatest. Yeah. The, the greatest. But but Judd's, right, Judd's right, in a red T-shirt. Right. You can't see him, but you can hear his, yeah. his, his dulcet tones. But he's in a red T-shirt. It's very festive uh, because Nate, this, this is our Christmas episode. This is our Christmas episode. And Judd, welcome back to the show. Once you go Burton, you don't go back. And you know what? You'll love this. One. You'll yeah. love it. That's Love right. I'm, uh, what's your? We're gonna get our favorite Christmas carols. Will be sung. We will talk about the origins of Christmas. We will talk about why you can celebrate it and not be too guilty. Because some some people come on our show, Judd, and they get real uh, legalistic about holidays and, and connections to paganism and what the roots of things that we celebrate as humans. And you can't even put a Christmas tree in your house. We're seeing Yuletide carols. None of that either. Yeah. Yes. Allow me to demolish all that in order. Yeah. Let's go, Jed. Let's go. You could be the you be the wall that they bash all of their anti-Christmas stuff against. That's right. I'll I'll be the the seven year old hard rock candy that your grandmother leaves in the <laughs> Christmas dish that they bash their teeth on. Jed, let's start with some fun stuff. Yeah, okay. Dude. Tell us. We want to hear a fav- favorite Christmas memory. So, Luke, you're wanting a, a, a favorite Christmas memory? Is that a yeah, first? give us a give us a give us a Judd Burton Christmas memory. So we, hey, it's Christmas time. I want I want like you know on the show we do a lot of a digging and, and truth nuggets and, and and stuff. But it is that time of year, and my wife watches Hallmark Christmas movies, and, I, and she doesn't let me watch them with her because I know the plot, and everyone is the same plot. But they're feel yeah. good. That's that's my point. Is they're feel good. So I want to yeah. tell us. I want a favorite Christmas memory from from our in our resident professor. My favorite Christmas memories are, are were definitely Christmas Eves at my grandmother's house. Christmas was her favorite time of year. Uh, every Christmas Eve, the 
my mother's side of the family would get together at her house and it was like Norman Rockwell meets West Texas was kind of the best way to, to describe it. And it was just, it's fun when you're a kid because you're, you know, you're getting the latest Lego package or action figure or whatever, but it was, it was fun for everybody. Lots of good food, lots of good cheer, just coming together. Those are the memories that stick out the most to me. That's yeah. I'm the same. Like I have memories of my grandmother's house and Christmas is magical when you're a kid. It's just so, it's so magical. I, I, I think I, like that's maybe we spend our adult lives trying to recapture that a little bit of that. Right. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's just like the anticipation and like there's still the whimsy of, you know, presents showing up and it's just, it's something about it that, I mean, that's why I love, it's my favorite holiday. That's why I love Christmas. It just, it's still like a little bit of that, you know, that, mm-hmm. of that childhood magic, I think. Sure. Anyway, I, I, yeah, I have much similar, except it was Northern California and, but we had tradition. Like it was, it was so steeped in tradition. Like we yeah. did certain, we did certain things and we, you know, we had a certain order. We went out on Christmas morning and we all, you know, all the cousins were there and we mm-hmm. took our, you know, we had an order for un, unwrapping gifts and it's just, you know, the, the cookies out and the milk. It's just, it was, I don't know, get nostalgic here. Look at you. Luke's about to cry on the show. No, mm-hmm. not really, but thank you, <laughs> You know, in the 80s was such the golden age of, yeah. like, toy, of toys, BMX bikes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your Huffy bike, dude, the mountain bike. Huffy. Uh, Huffy. You were looking for a mongoose, and you got the Huffy. I got the you know Huffy. I, mean? I wanted the Huffy. I got the white heat. I remember it. It was <laughs> the anyway. white heat. And the latest, uh, the latest Transformers. Yes. And Jed, Jed brings the white heat. Every episode we do, white white hot. (laughs) But Jed, Jed, before we started this, we were uh, we were talking. Of course, this is the (laughs) show where we love memes. We're talking about a meme that you posted uh, of Saint Nick, and Uh we I loved it. I actually, I was telling this before that I read it out loud to Nate on the phone, (laughs) like I'm an old man, like a really old man. Like there's another meme I love where. The, the guys, it's not even a meme. It's a post of a guy saying that he showed memes to his grandpa, and so his grandpa printed them all out to show his friends. <laughs> but I felt like that's what I was doing with Nate because he had this meme. Yeah. With, it's Saint Nick, and it said, "I came yeah. here to pass out presents and punch priests." And I'm all out of presents, which of course is an amazing homage to "They Live," which is a '80s B movie with Rowdy Roddy Piper, and so I'm instantly hooked. But I don't know the story behind this, so I laughed. But I laugh like when you see these internet jokes that you don't necessarily get, but you get. I was kind of in that weird space because I don't know the story. Right. And it's well, St. Uh, Nick. It's St. Nick, yeah, right? St. Yeah. Nick, the, the historical St. Nicholas. He was actually he was a bishop in Turkey uh, in the 4th century AD. And he was actually one of the bishops that was at the Council of Nicaea. We, we do have record of his attendance there. And one of the main reasons that Nicaea was called in the first place was to address something called the Arian heresy. Uh, which took its name from a reprobate priest in Egypt named Arius, uh, who called into question the substance of Jesus. And that was another thing. The whole homoousius, homoousius issue was at the center of the debates at Nicaea. And this story, which is apocryphal, probably, it, it, it could have happened, I suppose, but the story goes that Nicholas when he was listening to Arius or, or listening to the charges against Arius and what, what he was, what he was being accused of, you know, calling in, into question the supernaturality, supernaturalism of Jesus, basically the story goes is that he, he got so mad that he found Arius and punched him. And the reason I say this is probably apocryphal is because only bishops were allowed in cancel in council. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't just be a, like a parish priest. You had to be a, a bishop or higher to be in the council itself. But I always leave a little outlet valve, you know, because it could be possible. You know, maybe maybe Nicholas found him in the hallway and socked him really good. Yeah. And so that's the origin of that meme. That's the story behind the meme. So it's old old Saint Nick was maybe not so jolly that day that he was punching yeah. priests. He was far less holly and jolly than his his thought that day. Yeah. So our our WWF intro was perfect for this. It really was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Saint Saint Nick. It was it was the the pugilism before orthodoxism or something to that nature. Sorry, I'm not Don, I'm not Don King. I can't I can't roll this stuff. <laughs> you got hair touching heaven, baby. Yeah. 
Are there any creatures associated with Christmas, though, before we get too down these trails? Uh, reindeer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're just the, we're, we're the off an, the cuff this week, right? We're just going the animals for it. that were present at the at the birth of Christ. Those mm. kinds of creatures. That I guess they they count. They do count. I, I, so, so Jeb, we have briefly talked about Christmas. A good friend, a good friend of the show, um, sadly passed away this year. Rob Skiba came on, and he talked a bit about holidays and. And so we did. We talked about the birth of birth of Christ and how it probably wasn't in December. So I think what I wanted to talk about a little bit were the origins of mm-hmm. of Christmas and possibly when we pre- we presuppose that Jesus was actually born. But then you know why why it's why it is where it is. And then I know we when we had talked before it was about some of the Yule stuff. So we'd love to start from the beginning and mm-hmm. yeah, and, and tell us about and drop some knowledge on on us and blurry creatures here about about Christmas as we are in that time of year, you know, and why, why it is where it is and, and what was there before. And like, like we talked about before, why, why we can confidently celebrate in spite of it, maybe not being the actual birth of our savior that time of the year. Well, yeah, sure. Just as a little historical background, you know, we, we have outside context for the birth of Christ. You know, we're, we're in the nativity story. We're given, you know, whether you're looking at, at the second chapter of Luke or the first couple of chapters of Matthew, we're given a Roman backdrop. We know that this happened. We know that that Augustus took a, a, an empire-wide census. And so it, the Bible gets a little more specific with the census of, of a regional governor, governor named Quirinius, who we also know was a real person, uh, and began this census, um, you know, as the the first century BC was beginning to roll down. We know he took that post around six BC. So um, we're starting to get a, a, you know, a a sort of, of early end for potential dates for the birth of Jesus, the the year date. But we also know that it had to take place in the context of one of Rome's vassal Kings, namely Herod the great, who we also have an abundant amount of records for. And we've talked about on this show before, as a matter of fact, because he had the Augustaeum at, uh, uh, Peneus commissioned. And we, we know now that, that Herod dies probably, probably three BC, two BC, somewhere around there. So, you've got your window there now for the birth of Christ because there are a sequence of events that have to take place. Quirinius has to be the governor there. The Augustine, Augustinian census has to take place. Uh, Herod the Great has to be the king in Judea at the time. Uh, you've got to allow for other events in the nativity story, like the uh, the slaughter of the innocents, and then the, the couple of years later, the arrival of, of the Magi, uh, these scholars from the east who come uh, because of a, a, uh, some sort of celestial sign that had both natural and supernatural draw for them. But in terms of the, the actual year that, that Jesus is born, this has been a hotly debated topic as well. And a lot of scholars have, have come to rest on the, or I should say that most scholars come to rest on the date of 3 BC because it, it wiggles into this quite nicely just before the the death of king herod gives enough time for you know the events of the nativity to sort of play out so i'm comfortable myself with a four to three bc date and although we celebrate christmas now on december the 25th the date that jesus was born we're probably looking at a fall date and and people have even got more specific specific about this because of certain uh, astronomical data in, in some places in the Bible, uh, not the least of which is the book of Revelation, which I'm just starting, starting to kind of touch on. And I'll probably do a follow-up book to, to this one at some point. Suffice to say, taking all that into account, the consensus, or at least a significant portion of scholars, believe that Jesus was born in September. Uh, and some are even more specific that specific than that, and say that he was born on September the 11th, which is is yeah. interesting in and of itself because of the events that have transpired in our our own history in this nation. the The dates for a winter date were initially calculated, factoring in a, a kind of spring Easter era 
Easter period conception. The, now, and this is before all of the Council of Nicaea stuff, all of the, you know, Constantine, you know, designating this as the, you know, the time when when Christianity, Christendom would celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, this, this is long before that. And, you know, as, as early as the the second century AD, you got people like Hippolytus of Rome, one of the bishops who was writing about that this was the, the this winter festival was the time when the nativity was celebrated. And so it had become taking into account that the September 11th date is probably the accurate one. It had just, it had become a kind of cultural decision, you know, even before, you know, all the Sol Invictus, the, the relationships that people make with Sol Invictus and the Saturnalia and all that, it had become a kind of cultural thing on the part of the church, the early church, to celebrate it at that time. It was just one of those traditions that gained traction. So, yeah, because one of the things that we that you hear is that it has to do with the winter solstice and that there was there was Roman and pagan holidays that occurred, and specifically on that date, that when Roman Empire went Christian, mm-hmm. that was decreed that they would celebrate the birth of, of Christ. And, and mm-hmm. what pagan holidays were there before um, before it was, was well, it Constantine? That, I mean, there, were, there were there were so many. You know, I, I'll I'll will say this. I'll, I'll preface my statements with this about you know because I inevitably have to talk with these people. They'll post on on threads, you know, about any Christmas thing that I make, and ha- they have to remind me of how pagan Christmas is and how you know you're secretly worshiping uh, Tammuz or or Nimrod or or Osiris or Mithras or any of these other deities that were born in the winter, on the winter solstice. Part of God's plan has always has been has been redemption, not just the redemption of humanity, but the reclamation of creation itself, and that includes sacred space and sacred time. Hmm. God created both of those things, space hmm. and time. So if if by celebrating the birth of Christ, which we should do every day, celebrating in our hearts the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and we. We culturally, and I'm talking about largely the West, if we culturally make the decision to do that in the winter, and these pagans, you know, whether they were Romans or Greeks or, or Germans or Celts or whatever, or had these festivals in their in the winter, they gave homage to their gods. That should be really kind of incidental. It doesn't mean that that you're unconsciously worshiping these pagan deities by celebrating, because most most of Christendom will will say that they celebrate Christmas as the they're celebrating the nativity, the birth of Christ, the, the, the answered, the ultimate answered prayer They're They've, they're not, uh, and we'll getting to some of the symbology and trappings and stuff of that. I've actually made some videos on that, believe it or not, but yeah, people seem to get real divisive uh, about those issues, but there were a number of things that took place. Uh, the winter solstice was a major festival for many, many cultures. The solstices and the equinoxes tended to be because they represented these transitions in in sacred time on their calendar. And prob- the one that was prominent uh, at the time when this was, you know, when you have the establishment, the firm establishment of the date for its celebration, not the actual birthday of Jesus, but the Saturnalia was a festival that the Romans, people in the Roman world celebrated uh, that lasted from December the 17th until December the 23rd. Uh, and it involved, you know, the lighting of torches and the hanging of, of, of greens and the giving of presents. And in some cases, they have a kind of thing like they, they did in, or continue to do in, in Britain, uh, Boxer Day, which is the day after Christmas, where you have a kind of, of role reversal where the 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 poor are invited into wealthy people's homes for meals and you have a kind of role reversal where they're the master of ceremonies and the the people that are rich have to serve them or whatever you had you had those kinds of things taking place where slaves were attended to by their masters mm. that's really the that's the big one in the roman world of course the the stolen victus cult celebrated the birth of the sun sun uh on december the 21st well and so this people have looked at this as a kind of conflation that constantine chose this date because he was a one-time devotee of the soul invictus uh, or the mithras cult i don't really buy that 
myself. I'm not. I don't. I'm not painting Constantine as the saint, but I, I'm. I'm not also going to call into question necessarily his salvation and some of the some of the decisions that he made might have called that into question. Some people say that the adoption of Christianity was just a political move to unify a breaking empire. That may have been part of the strategy, but how, how can we know his heart, you know, completely? At any rate, these are some of the festivals that play. The one that's more proximate to us uh, during the winter is one that comes from the Celtic world, and that's the Yule Festival, which is celebrated on the winter solstice and gives homage to the, this transitional period. You know, lots of the same kinds of things at play here, the celebrating that the 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 days are, are getting longer st- starting at that point uh, because of the uh, the dark half of the year that that's that goes to the whole sun symbology as well the uh, the solar significance of all, all of it and the burning of the yule log was one of the, the traditions in which they would cut down an evergreen and trim it up and burn it and let it smolder uh, as a kind of offering to the gods as well and so those are two festivals that are generally brought into the discussion in terms of of christianity or excuse me christmas supposedly being pagan jed i i find it fascinating though like from a you know historical account and relevance of of this date to to serve a god who's in the business of redemption who redeemed a time that was set aside for the birth of the sun s-u-n Mm -hmm. and we have the birth of the sun Mm s-o-n Uh, and then you have this winter solstice, this beginning of renewal, all these different things. It's like, in some ways, it feels like God taking that back, being like, mm. it should. And you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still kind of out to lunch on this, but let's just say, for the sake of argument, that Jesus was born December the 25th. Okay, right. Jesus still represents everything that these other solar deities couldn't accomplish in real space and time they were all facsimiles they were failed attempts of these these entities trying to put a smear on this time of the year dionysus tammuz mithras odin and none of these deities did in real space and time what jesus did uh, which we can historically verify so let's you know even if jesus was born on december the 25th all the better, because that that time and space belong to God to begin with. So, what are people at their core worried about that are saying it's pagan? Well, that you're that you're you know by putting up a Christmas tree or or you know telling stories about Santa Claus or whatever that that you're somehow participating in pagan ritual in a, in a kind of cognitive dissonance sort of a way. A lot of this stems from again I mentioned. The, the Babylonian stuff, the Tammuz, but a lot of it, quite comically, in my opinion, stems from the conflation of, let's just call them Ba humbuggers, hmm. the conflation of Santa Claus with Nimrod, which is always interesting to me. And I've made a video about this very thing and why it's, I'm not saying that Nimrod was a good guy, definitely an evil, evil, nefarious character, but to conflate him with Santa Claus and say that, you know, by acknowledging Santa Claus in whatever way, uh, that you're you're worshiping some sort of pagan god, you're worshiping Nimrod or whatever, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you can't really make that conflation stick historically. And sadly, a lot of a lot of our Bah humbuggers, I'm gonna have to trademark that or something. <laughs> a lot of our Bah humbuggers don't don't go any farther than a really horrible work of, of research called the uh, the Two Babylons by a guy named Alexander Hyssop. And Hyssop brings up one of the more popular sketches or bas-reliefs of the uh, Mesopotamian Apkalu that were found at the, um, the site of the city of Kala, which in his day, shortly after Laird found the site, was known as Nimrud. They didn't know that it was it, that the historical name was Kala. And so he makes these connections with Nimrod that aren't even really there. So getting back to this Apkalu, which for li- if listeners will remember, these are the, the Watchers. This is the, the Mesopotamian designation for the Watchers. And there is a particular Apkalu, many listeners may have seen, you guys may have seen it too, 
who is shown with a long beard, wearing a, a long tunic and kilt, is carrying a deer, a buck, under his right arm and is holding a, a, a piece of foliage in his left hand. And this image has been compared by this group, and they conclude that it's the same personage as uh, as Santa Claus, and that this this particular Apkalu was Nimrod. Uh, well, Nimrod could not have been an Apkalu, number one, because the Apkalu were a- angelic. Or, or watcher-class angels, yeah. Watcher-class angels. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. that that that's strike number one, right? They usually point to the general imagery, you know, uh, the long beard and the cap and, and all of that as being, well, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other, you know, you can't, it's kind of hard to, yeah. to make that stick too. the deer that he's actually holding. Uh, most of this crowd calls the calls a reindeer and it's not a reindeer at all. Hmm. It's a Persian fallow deer. Hmm. Reindeer don't look like that. This looks like the, the stylized reindeer from the Rankin Bass, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that came out in the 1960s. That's yeah. not what reindeer look like. R- reindeer are, have this, they're, they're caribou looking. Okay? Right. You know, like the Williams so, and Sonoma deer that yeah. they, they, they pass as, as reindeer, right? Yeah. <laughs> Something to that effect. Um, and then the, the, uh, the piece of foliage is said to be part of an evergreen. Well, this is actually a palm frond. It's, it's not a Christmas tree that this guy's holding. And so all, all of these comparisons are just sort of dead on arrival because they don't make any historical sense. They're just, they're just completely taken out of context. And, I, and it, it, it amuses me and equally annoys me that this, this rationale, this comparison is just recycled all over the internet and people just gobble it up like it's the gospel truth. So Santa, guys, you heard it here. Santa Claus is not Nimrod. Nimrod is not Santa Claus. <laughs> That's right. So we're putting it's, this to put that one to bed. It's a it's a Nimrod of a position to hold. Right. Well, he did. I mean, you could you could take the North Pole. He built this tall. Nah, it's too much of a stretch. Right. Hey, just to stay in our in our fences, Luke. There are some Christmas creatures, by the way. There are some Christmas creatures. Yeah, the gorilla. You heard of the gorilla? Anyone out there? No. Is a giant troll who leaves her cave dwellings to kidnap children and feast on them who haven't obeyed their parents. This this sounds like the variant of uh, Krampus in the Krampus, is, yeah, yeah. And the Krampus is like a half demon, half goat character, right? Yeah, it's like the anti Santa. Yeah, it sounds like Bigfoot coming to steal your children too. He, he's uh, he's anti Claus. Yeah, there's the bad Santa. He's bad. He's bad Santa before Billy Bob was bad Santa. Yeah, this is the worst Santa. This is the worst. Shall we? So a little more on Yule. We talk about like I mean, it's in carols, right? Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. Folks dressed up like Eskimos. Yeah, everybody knows. <laughs> a turkey and some mistletoe. <laughs> Dude, we could do this. Let's, go, let's hit the road, Judd. We got we this. We should, man. <laughs> but the. Is that you, you touched on? It's the Celtic like solstice thing, and I think it's interesting too when we talk about the Celts, right? Because this show we have talked about Stonehenge and the megaliths, and and, mm-hmm. and Stonehenge in particular is designed where it aligns with this winter solstice, among mm-hmm. other things and celestial mm-hmm. things. And but we have this Yule thing that's still kind of carried through somehow, and I, and you know, and I guess maybe you did touch on it, so this could be redundant, but like. How does how does that continue, that tradition continue in what we see in celebration of Christmas? Because I mean, I don't think a lot of us have Yule logs per se, but is is it the yeah. Christmas tree that that it then then sort of exists in that space? Is that where that comes well, from? Well, the, the the Christmas tree, the Tannenbaum was a um, was a German importation. Uh, remember that a lot of the the English royal family was German. You know, the the Georgian kings were were German. And they wanted those traditions. And so in the, the, I think it's either late 18th or early 19th century, they import the, that practice to England. And um, the, hmm. the, the Celtic world, the, the, particularly the English and Welsh worlds, uh, are kind of a, a, a kind of the conduit through which, you know, people in America get a lot of their Christmas time traditions. And I'm, I'm just speaking culturally and, and, and historically here, not theologically, you know, the hanging of wreaths and well, the Christmas tree via the Tannenbaum, the, the German Christmas tree. 
but uh, the the singing of carols is not not necessarily specific to uh, England. This this is old. You know, these go back to to even some of the the carols have their roots in the uh, the cantos that the or chants that the monks would recite um, mm. during the nativity season. So you know, technically carols are an, an ancient Christmas tradition. So not grandma got run over by a reindeer. That one not as old. <laughs> well, I don't think that that technically qualifies as a carol. It's a it's it's a lovable Christmas tune for sure. Right. Judd, what else? What else do we do we do we not understand, or do we get wrong about the Christmas story from historical context? What what has become mythos, even about the story of, of Christ and nativity and the wise men? Can, are there a few things that, that you can correct on you know from from this cultural narrative we have that we're that we find you know in the actual biblical story? Whether it be I you know, I don't know this is this is this is open season for you, but whether it be I don't know if it's the gifts of the magi or or the or the star in heaven or perhaps even just the room in the inn and the, and what we what we consider a nativity scene that a lot of people have on their front lawns or, or maybe mm-hmm. sitting on the front lawn at your church. Mm-hmm. What's factually or historically incorrect about a lot of that? Well, you know, it's become politically correct, particularly recent years, to talk about the the Holy Family, you know, Mary. Joseph and Jesus as as Palestinian refugees. They weren't ethnically Palestinian. You know that's a that's a geographical term that comes around when the Romans uh, eventually become in charge. And actually, it's 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 like first and second century A.D. Roman. But you know they're presented as these people that are are just sort of peripheralized and humble and poor and meek and that sort of thing. Uh, and I'm not saying that the circumstances weren't at the time, but I'm, I'm hesitant to say that the Holy Family was necessarily poor. Uh, and there, there's a, a reason for that. And it comes from the family profession. It comes from, you know, usually the word that's translated is carpentry, carpenter. The Greek word that's used there is tekton, which which actually means it does involve woodworking, but it's, it's more like a, a kind of a contractor you know they technically it's a stonemason it's a builder yeah, yeah. A builder i mean you, it, it was a pretty common greek word you find it in all over greek literature you know odysseus is described as a, a tecton in the odyssey but they also had some you know it was skilled labor and once the family went back to nazareth they were just down the road from the regional roman capital which was sepphoris and so there was a lot of work that Joseph and Jesus and his brothers would have been doing there. And the role that they would have been playing would, would be now the brothers might've been doing some of the hard work, heavy lifting, cutting and, and fine crafting and that sort of thing. But at least part of the family would have been doing the job of a, 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 a like a foreman on a building project. They, they were the ones who were a tecton could look at the plans of the engineer or architect and translate that into actually being built by the builders. And what this implies is that, you know, probably as close to a kind of middle class as you could get in that time, it really was no middle class, but standard of living above what most people had, but not royalty. So not re- not refugees. Right, but right. not people that would have been put out or, or uncomfortable. And I, I, don't, I don't say that to take away at all from Jesus's ministry because he, he could just identify with anybody. But I, I, I've long felt that this is one of the ways that God gave him resources to fund his ministry uh, when he took off. Hmm. So um, this, here's another one of those examples of just letting the words say what they say. Yeah, it was carpentry, but it was more than that. It wasn't just woodworking. It was a, a, a multi-craft if you will, profession that it did involve some technicality to it. And, you know, working on all of Herod Antipas's, you know, building projects at Sepphoris would have been profitable for them. Now, you could call them refugees of a sort, you know, once the order for the slaughter of the innocents comes down from Herod the Great and they escape to Egypt. But I, I, I try to stay away from from making any of those connections with with causes of, of refugees in the Middle East right now because it that get that gets really political and and not really historically accurate very quickly. Do you think we give gifts on Christmas because of the Magi? Or do you think that that comes from 
other traditions? I think that that a lot of it's. I think a lot of our our traditions about giving gifts, the, specifically the the Christian tradition of giving gifts, comes from the gifts of the Magi and the the Magi have always fascinated me. Yeah, I was going to say. You know, talk about blurry. They've been one of my favorite parts of the nativity story. I kind of identify with them because they're eggheads, you know, and they're probably from Persia or Babylon. They, they're star watchers. They're astrologers and literary people. And so they, they see this auspicious celestial event, probably a, a conjunction involving Jupiter and Saturn, which typically heralds a, a, a great change in the context of astrology. But more than that, they would have been familiar because of the presence of the Jews in Babylon. They would have been familiar with the prophecies of Daniel and other Old Testament prophets, uh, which related to the coming of the Messiah. And so between God inspiring them and, and them using their, their talents and acumen, they took this as a sign of, of where the Messiah was going to be born. Now, they don't arrive at at the the actual nativity at the birth right, it's actually right. it's actually something you know it may be as much as as two years you know down down the road that they come but the and we don't know i mean usually there are three in nativity depictions but we don't know exactly how many there were it's just magoi is the plural word that's used there the two of them there could have been a whole retinue of them we we, we just don't know uh it's usually the three gifts is the reason given the the gold the frankincense and the myrrh and what do you think they represent? Well, uh, gold is 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 the easy one. That's a gift for royalty, right? More like the magi themselves, not the gifts. Like, like it just seems so odd to me, you know. Well, isn't it like that they were that they came to see to bow down to the king of kings, and they were in the king of they kings, were they right? were king, they were kings or royal, they were at least from the royal class. It, it, mm-hmm. it, that's implied. Well, and I think that they're a window into the 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 birth of Jesus was not just to redeem Hebrews. Mm. You know, there are all kinds of traditions about the ethnicities that were represented in uh, the three wise men, that they were from Babylon and and Persia and maybe India, as far away as India. But I think that that's a key thing to take away from that that component of uh, the nativity story is that you had the, you did have the lowest of the low you know, the, the shepherds attending there, but you had these scholar kings from the East who represented different ethnicities coming to pay homage to the King of Kings as well and, mm. and illustrate that salvation was for everybody, that Jesus mm. came into the world for everybody of, of every color, every creed. Kind of reminds me of so many stories of like, you know, the centurion and, you know, you have all these stories of these Gentiles that are not a part of the faith being mm-hmm. sort of singled out in the story. Mm-hmm. And the wise men would be probably of pagan roots, right? They would be... Well, I think about like the mystery schools of Babylon more so when they hear wise. Like they had this like hidden knowledge. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what we're talking about. Remember the influence that, that Mesopotamia had on the rest of not just the ancient Near East, but the Greek and Roman worlds. The Greeks and the Romans both looked to Babylonian astrology. They called them the Chaldean numbers um, as a source for their own uh, astrology. And so there's a great, you know, it's, it is all tied up in the mystery traditions of the East. It's tied up in their particular brand of astrology. But you also have to remember that, as I said, you're living in a post- Cap- Babylonian captivity, Mesopotamia. So these people had access to all of the literature that the Jews had brought with them, and that included. That's why you know they're 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 reading this stuff while they're watching the stars, and so the prophecies of the Messiah, reading Daniel, yeah. and the other, the other prophets, and these stories about the coming Messiah, right. and all the things that he was going to do. And so I think that God was working on them, calling them. Joe, tell us, uh, go back to the gifts, because I, I like what you wrote in the in your book about these gifts, because I think that they're something I hadn't thought about, like the sim, symbolism and sort of the 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 meanings that, that people have, have, have ascertained or, or to, to, these, right. the, to these gifts. The, like, like I said, the gold is probably the easiest one as a gift for, for royalty, as a gift for kings. The other two speak, I guess, kind of hygiene and health 
concerns. You know, myrrh can be used as a, an ointment, you know, and frankincense has, uh, you can not only burn it, burn the resin and it, it, you know, purifies the air, you know, makes it smell better. Um, but you can also ingest it and it, it's a, it's a digestive aid. It helps with upset stomach. These all in some way come back, come back full circle because of they sort of they foreshadow the the coming events in Jesus's life and their culmination in the crucifixion and resurrection that he does he does become is the king of kings that his body was anointed with myrrhs and aloes uh and that likely you know frankincense was burned as part of the you know to purify the air or whatever around the body so these gifts sort of come full circle from the birth to the death and then represented in the resurrection as well. And so they, they have these multiple layers of significance to them. Yeah. I like what you, I like what you put in the book about, about the early church father who said the gold as to a King myrrh as to one who was mortal and incense as to a God. It has this, mm-hmm. you know, then you also have this spiritual significance of gold as symbol of kingship. As you said, frankincense, one of deity and myrrh, it was an embalming was as of mm-hmm. death, like you were talking about it, it, which I think is fascinating because I mean, you, it's so, it's very intentional, but then also to have that not from a Jew, I think is also significant in the fact mm-hmm. that these, these wise men understood not only that this was, this was the King of Kings and they needed to come and, you know, come let's adore him. Like they wanted to come and bring their gifts to the King of Kings, but also understanding that the, because of the celestial signs, that this was the one and this yeah. was also to be his, whether you know whether they intentionally knew that or not, or there was some sort of divinity. I don't know, but it's it seems too coincidental to think that they, these things didn't weren't prophetic, and at least in some nature, yeah. for you know for the for the Messiah. Well, I like sure. that, Luke. Like I'm thinking about it, Luke. I've taken frankincense. It's actually got a lot of healing properties. It's a very powerful mm-hmm. substance of healing. And you think about it, if we really Go back to what I was saying earlier, like the death in the myrrh, the healing through the frankincense, and then the restoration back to the family, the father, and the royalty through the gold. You could really see the symbolism between all three of those things. Right? It's kind of crazy. I mean, mean, it's not a stretch to make all those things fit into a nice little Christmas jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Hey. And what about the star over Bethlehem? What is it? Clearly they can see it. Well, it's, you know, there have been people who have, speculated about it for years again I, th- I think the most recent consensus is is that it was a, it was a conjunction involving saturn and jupiter and i want to say venus but you know people from isaac newton to johann kepler uh, speculated that it was it, it was a it could have been a conjunction it could have been a a, a supernova uh, or or a you know some sort of orb that was falling some sort of you know asteroid or something like that to me the the conjunction seems to be the best fit particularly because of all the the jupiter jupiter and saturn conjunction would have been significant and you know the magi would have known that this heralded you know because in babylonian uh, astrology uh jupiter uh jupiter was called nibiru now most of the sitchin crowd We'll say that, you know, Nibiru is planet X and this, this was this planet, that, rogue planet that makes its way through the solar system, you know, dropping off the, the Anunnaki, blah, blah, blah. But that's not what Nibiru means at all. If you look at it in the, the Mesopotamian context, it, it always means, it's always referred to as Marduk star. And Marduk was the Zeus, Jupiter, basically. Hmm. And Marduk star was the planet Jupiter. Uh, and so this the, the conjunction of the king star with this time star, you know, Kronos. And I think it's, I think Venus was part of this conjunction too, if I'm not mistaken, representative of, of the birth of this king taken with what they had been studying in the prophets, uh, all sort of came together for them. But, you know, as I say, the, the best case scenario is probably this conjunction and not something like a supernova or a meteorite. I love that though, but I, lo- I really do love that. Like you're the king, and then the time, mm-hmm. and then the birth. Right? It's like these are the, what these things represented in the in the alignment or the convergence of these things mm-hmm. would have 
the heavens would have spoken, which I think and then you look at scripture and it's like even the rocks cry out, the heavens speak to his glory. The Right, and that's the difference. And I think the Magi probably realized that at that point is that was the difference between astrology and the way that the Bible looks at what happens in the celestial realm. You know, in astrology, man is trying to discern his future through the alignment and motion of the planets and celestial bodies. From a biblical perspective, those same events herald God's plan. Herald really crazy and I, I, I'm still stuck on the star thing like the fact that the yeah. star you read the stars and the stars and then just it just falls in the line with the creation and, and yeah it's and that's it's, a new age right is this the birth of a new age um, a, a new age not not necessarily the the new age but cer- certainly the the greatest of new ages and this 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 speaks to this stuff about astrology and the stars and biblical perspective on it it all speaks goes back to you know god had god creates all this stuff creates the heavens and the stars but the knowledge about them that the watchers retain for instance they misuse they they twist the -hmm. natural order of god things to suit their own ends and that's how you get astrology Mm -hmm. um it was one of you know the charting of and and watching of, of of this celestial clock to try and manipulate it for nefarious ends. That's, mm-hmm. that's at the root of what the watchers taught. But I, I think then the Christmas story, the nativity story and, and the follow-up of the Magi is a, a beautiful story of how to go back to the way that God views his creation, namely the heavens and what their purpose is. It's always to point to his glory, to his plan. And this is just this for for the timing for the the circumstances that the Magi were working on. This was just one of those aha moments. Hmm. And I just think like that, you know, in in the scope of things, Judd, it's like the heavens couldn't help but cry out, like yeah. for the for the birth of the redemption of creation and and of man and in the person of Jesus Christ. I think it's amazing because we think about even his crucifixion, like there was this earthquake and. It, it, it's like it's like all of heaven is watching, and these even the create the created can't help but but just scream out like that. This is this is here here he comes, which I think is just it almost like gives me chills to think of think about. That. Yeah. What and what about the significance of the angels going to the shepherds and saying, "Hey, come check it out. This is happening." What do you think? What do you think about that? Well, again, there the the announcement is is. I think there's some other symbolism there too, but the announcement is given to basically the lowest profession, lowest regarded profession at the time. I think there's a lot of, I think this also may be a slight against Azazel too and Pan because Pan was the God of shepherds. There's all this goat imagery that's associated with Azazel all the way down to Pan. I think we're talking about the same entity or at least the legacy of that entity. And so I think that that. And Krampus. <laughs> and Krampus. I think that that's a slight against Azazel mm. because you know at at Peneus you've got the good shepherd in the form of Jesus, and then you have the god of shepherds in the form of Pan, sort of squaring off there. I, I think that that this is a slight to Pan uh, or Azazel or wh- whatever appellation you want to give to. I like that. But then you know Christ goes on and makes a lot of comparisons to shepherd sheep. Mm-hmm. Throughout his whole ministry, you know, he's talking about that. Yeah, his entire ministry. Something there, something. So I like when the God of Heaven starts trolling. He starts troll. He's like, "Let me troll. Let me troll all you chumps out there that think you can sit on my throne." Yeah, it's also a sense of humility. He's born in a manger, and then these sure. low, low profession people come and watch. There's a lot of start at the bottom, and then we're going to mm-hmm. work our way all the way up to Mount Hermon. It's like, like just like just like Drake said. 
Yeah. Started from the bottom, now we're here. But I mean, one of the last yep. things he does, he goes to the top of Mount Hermon at the end of his ministry, right? But mm-hmm. he starts at this this manger in a field. And then the angels appear overhead and they're singing. Mm-hmm. What do you think that? What do you think um, that looked like? And well, it was enough to scare the living daylights out of the shepherds when they saw it. Yeah, it. Uh, There's a creature feature for you, Judd. Yeah, I mean, my goodness, you know, talk about a blurry creature event. It was. I mean, how how, did, how can you encapsulate something like that? You know, it was it was terrifying. It was awe inspiring. It was all all of those things at the same time. Yeah, I think I always go back to like the the angels always have to say, "Don't be afraid." Don't be afraid. Yeah. We bring you we bring you glad tidings. Great joy. You think at that moment when Christ enters the world, there's sort of a, a beacon or a shot fired and Satan knows and the angels are showing up to protect the scene. Yeah, clearly. I I, I definitely definitely think that's you know, because that would be like that'd be like an atomic explosion going off. It's not like I mean you can't miss that, right? Exactly. If you're Satan or one of the fallen angels or the demons that's going to, you're going to see that, you know, in those supernatural terms and it, it's not going to be dismissed. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like the UFO pulls over New York city, right? And, yeah, exactly. And everyone's exactly. like, it, he's, it's here. He's it's like, here. They're here. We're, boy, what do we do now? Because then right after that, Herod starts, you know, he finds yeah. out. Massacre of the innocents. And yeah. they prelude his mind to get him to start killing children. And well, kind of crazy aside there too, I think is is wild that like I, I, the enemy doesn't know if they can kill kill him right all the way up to the temptation of Christ. They're they're trying to see if they can, mm-hmm. and, and I and I think that's fascinating in the sense of like I think we attribute a lot of like knowledge and, and I mean in some ways rightfully so, but also they they didn't know they just knew their end had showed up right and they didn't know what they could do about it, which I, I think is also yeah God is just so much bigger and badder. You know, in a good way. I mean, he's just yeah. Sort of, he's a hundred moves ahead in this game of three-dimensional chess. Sorry, I didn't think about that. That that at that moment, I just never really put this together. From day one, they were trying to kill him. Yeah, and and it's what they do with everybody. That's I remember Derek Gilbert was speaking at one of our Sons of God conferences a few years ago, and the first thing out of his mouth, you know, it's like you know this stuff, but when you hear somebody articulate it, it's sometimes it just snaps together and he's like the devil wants to kill you and everybody that you love Hmm. Hmm. it's true and that's you know it's kind of like well duh you know i I, how many times have i seen that he he came to you know steal kill and destroy you know that's not just hyperbole but at that moment at the birth at the manger it's kind of like all right we're going to send in the navy seals right yeah. And we need to be we need to have heavy artillery and cover because we're gonna we're going in, and Christ enters the world as a baby. You know, I mean, I've raised two children. I they're they can't do anything on their own for years. Yeah, yeah. And so there's gonna be like spiritual Navy SEALs with Joseph and Mary for a while. You, yeah. And so it makes you wonder how how much Christ. For a while, he was helpless. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's wild to think about a toddler, a baby, baby. Well, I about when the Magi showed up, Jesus was in his terrible twos. Think about that. Yeah, <laughs> probably knew kung fu by then. Though. He knew he knew kung fu. Yeah. yeah. What I think is cool, and I, what I think about in in scope of this of this podcast and sort of our our trajectory is the idea that like that there was so much rejoicing from from the angelic from the angelic race, and, and I think about like. That they knew at that point, this was this was how they were going to fix the fracture, the fracturing of God's family, right? This this was how you would fix it, how we could all become family again. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I didn't really ever think in those terms before, like that the you know the elder race, as Tim says, the angelic race and the human race is we're all the family of God, and and I and I can imagine the joy, the joy not only in 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 knowing that this was the salvation of of the human race, of the little brother per se, to the angelic race, but also that the 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 redemption and and the re the prodigal almost the the, the bringing back together of God's family was beginning, and the prophecies fulfilled, and there was just so much yeah. joy. I mean, just so much joy though. I I imagine in in that knowing that. This this is the beginning of the redemption of, of becoming a family again, 
and and I'd never thought about that Christmas in that in that measure, or even yeah. even the arrival of the of the angels and the rejoicing, right? Like, of course, the rejoicing, but I think we took it from such a human centric point of view. The rejoicing because it's our redemption, but I feel like they're rejoicing because it's like we're going to be a family again, like all of us are again, like welcome, you're 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 going to come back. Yeah, and and I think maybe it's the whole great tidings of great joy and hope, right? Yeah. And this time, the season is about hope and and joy, and it's the the preparing of, of of our heavenly family of our of our sure. of, of the family of God. Yeah, um, all of those things are at play. Yeah, I like that. I like that feeling, that magical feeling of Christmas. And perhaps in our minds and our hearts, when you see the nativity scene, you're going back to that moment of of man. This is the moment the Savior enters the world. Right, and that's that's why I have such a hard time. You know, God bless them, but the Bah Humburgers, as we've labeled them. That's why I have such a hard time with him. I mean, you 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 want to go back to just strict legalism and not replace it with with restoration, with uh, redemption. Uh, you know, why should it matter when when we celebrate this stuff? We just we this is this is what we decided on. When we decided on, we're going to celebrate it. That doesn't automatically equate to your worshiping Nimrod, Osiris, Tammuz. The soul Invictus Mithras fill in the blank. Um, it just, it, like I said, it's both it's both equally amusing and equally irritating, mm. and it always makes me think about you know in Ephesians chapter five where Paul he's basically asking why would you go back under circumcision? You know, talking about going back under the law as a Christian because that was one of the debates in his days. You know that the Judaizers came at him with is is look in order for people to actually become Christian. You have to be culturally Jewish first. You have to, you know, go through all the, uh, all the chop, chop. kosher dietary laws, circumcision, you know, all, all of this stuff. And Oof. Paul says, "Why would you do that? It's it's like putting yourself back under that is dangerous in a lot of ways." And, and I'm trying to remember the way he words it, but he, you know, he's talking about a kind of imperilment of your soul uh, by by going back to that. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's what what our bar humbuggers are doing, but by drawing these, they are doing bad history. They are taking things out of historical context and making these conflations that don't exist and pulling out, you know, passages like from Jeremiah chapter 10, where it's talking about the decorating of trees and wood with silver and gold. And they're talking about making idols there. I don't think anybody in their right mind is actually worshiping their Christmas tree. I like the idea too, Judd, like of like just the kingdom of God is advancing, advancing violently. And, yes. And like, from like a militant standpoint, be like, we're taking exactly. it back. It's warfare. Let's we're taking take it back. back. Exactly. Take it back. Take back this Absolutely. territory that's that's ours. Let's take it back. That's right. Well, I mean, it reminds me of our previous episode. We just talked about, you know, Mount Hermon being this symbolism. This is where creation was defiled. And Jesus goes back on the transfiguration and takes, takes it back. It back. Right, the original, the OG, and he, and you posted a, a meme about that, like another Christmas meme. Christmas trees are pagan. He's like, well, I invented the Christmas <laughs> oh, tree. Where you know? Jesus calls dibs. I, I invented evergreens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it reminded me of what you said earlier, Jed, that what these people are trying to do is is corrupt something that already exists, yeah. sort of manipulate it, twist. But if we go back to the beginning, like go back to our hearts, what are we really trying to celebrate here? It's the birth of Christ. They're the ones trying to corrupt that celebration. I don't know. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Christmas sprung up around this pagan holiday, and then we hijacked their holiday. We just took it. To me, that's that's giving ground to the devil. I, I, he, he doesn't deserve that because all, everything, all of space and time belonged to God before it belonged to anybody because he made it. Mm. You know, his his maker's mark is all over it. And so, like, like Luke pointed out, you know, from a strategic you know, spiritual warfare standpoint, take it back. And we're taking it back, Judd. All the way, all the way back. We're taking it back. But uh, no, I, this has been fantastic. I know we, we've we've taken up quite a bit of your time, Judd. Happy, happy to give it. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you for, for being a part of this crazy journey we're on. In a time of, of we've already passed the Thanksgiving time of, of giving thanks, but in a time of reflection this season and what we're grateful for, we're grateful for you and for your friendship and for your time and what you've added to, to Nate and I's journey here. 
to the presents you've given us. And that's a double entendre. Hey, right. we, like pun, we like puns here, Judd. <laughs> I understand yeah. it's the lowest form of humor. It, well, you know, that, that fits about right. You, you almost, made, <laughs> I almost made a joke earlier about you that that the uh, angels came to the lowest lowest job at that point, and I was about to say, well, they didn't have podcasters back then, so maybe we would have had the... <laughs> uh, pod, the podcasters <laughs> broadcasting in the field by night. They were. They, they were there, and they were, they were making memes, and, and the angel appeared and said, get off, get off, get off that. <laughs> get off that and get up. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. right. That's or right. other blurry creatures of the yeah. season. And here we are. It's full circle. They Everything were out there looking circle. for Bigfoot. Right. In the middle of the night. Oh, man. You'll be proud of us, Judd. We're, we're learning. We're learning from you. All these episodes later, you and Tim Alberino just bashing Luke and I in the face with, with knowledge and truth. So that's what we're, what we're here for. You'll be in our hearts, Judd, this Christmas. As, as will you all. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, Judd Burton, yeah. the doctor, the professor. No. But I will say, and God bless us, everyone. Oh, dude. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim Alberino. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So for those of you out there, you Scrooges that don't believe in Christmas or think it's pagan, did we do a good job? Let us know. And Chad, before before this ends, tell us about your book. I bought your book, uh, and it's specifically about Christmas. Yes, it's it's called 12... um, 12 days of Christmas Bible studies. It's just a little, uh, they're little hi- uh, historical vignettes, little meditations on various elements of the nativity story. And there's some helpful appendices in the back to kind of get a, a better cultural historical context of what's going on in that time and the nativity story itself. And if people are interested, I, I, uh, I like I said, I, I made a, a YouTube video uh, on my channel about you know, just breaking apart the whole Santa Claus Nimrod paradigm. I've I've done some other Christmas videos. I think I've done some St. Nicholas stuff. Last year I read the nativity story from Luke two in the original Greek. And so if people yeah. want to see what that sounds like, they can, they can go to my YouTube channel and check that out. And mm. class specials this week. Yeah. All, all my programs are on sale for 105 bucks a piece. Plus you get my five originals in ebook format. So you can email me if you want to want to register. Always taking on new students. Okay. Awesome. Everyone out there listening, buy that book because we promise you'll right. enjoy it. Nimrod won't bring it to you, so you got to get it on your That's own. Right. No. <laughs> Judd, we, we love you, man. Thanks so Thanks, much. Thanks, uh, Love you too, guys. Hey, you know what? Love you all too. Hey, this is Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. And and I, I think you know I was thinking about this, Nate, and I, and I think I want to do this next year sometime, Judd. I would love to to uh, for us to purchase like a a, a class or two and, and and then give it away, like as a as something cool we could do for for some of our listeners. Like I don't know if we we'll do a contest yeah. or something. But I, but I want to yeah. do that next year. This is not this doesn't need to be on the actual podcast. But I, I was thinking about this yeah. today. Because I think it would be really cool to do that, not only to support what you're doing, but also to, like to 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 do that as a as as a thing we could bless somebody with. Um, sure. Maybe I'll take it anyway because I'm fascinated by it. But I, maybe I'll get my own. Sure. But I think that maybe something we want to do. We'll, fi- we'll figure it out, and maybe we can do some kind of yeah, some kind of we, we could uh, yeah, we could I, you know, I throw in some some free ebooks. Yeah, and, like and I think what we could do with it, Judd, and this is what I was thinking about too, is that we should do a little a little like promotion for it where we'll give it away but we can, we can at the same time we can kind of plug what you're doing because you've been so generous to us with with, the sh- with being on the show in your time and, sure. and so I think that's something that I, that I know we, I'd like to do Nate um, maybe, yeah. maybe we'll do it maybe we'll do it in, that's a great we'll do idea. some kind that's of New Year's idea. thing where we're like hey we're gonna new new year new you uh, get educated we'll figure it out but I, I want to we'll, sure we'll, uh, we'll keep you posted so we can do a little cross promotion on, on how to how to promote what you're doing, and then maybe give maybe give somebody an opportunity that maybe wouldn't have the money to do it or whatever. So, delighted. That's delighted. right. Yeah, buddy. I love it. Maybe we can throw in a little bit of uh, meme school. Meme school. You know, a little education. Nathan. Yeah. Well, you are Doctor Meme. And Nate, he says I am, but I'm not. It's certainly Nathan. No, Luke and I help. We we tweak him together. All I do is act well, together. Would, like Cisco and Ebert. That would make you. That would make you the doctor's meme. The doctors mean. Hey, d- d- yes, plural, yeah. indeed. And then if we just take that back to the original language, um, 
meme as in you know in the ancient Aramaic. And we'll get somewhere very interesting. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. I believe I believe that was a, a, a dialect of Aramaic called Aramimic. Oh, there he is. Gosh, dude. Okay, we have to go out on that. That's too good. <laughs> Head over to BurtonBeyond.com. Support Judd, our friend Judd Burton, Doctor Chad Burton. Judd, we'll talk to you soon. Merry Christmas in advance. Yep. Look out for that Godspeed. West. Look out Merry for that Christmas, West guys. Texas goat man. Don't let him show up in Christmas dinner. Uh, he may come dressed up as Krampus this year. I don't know. Just gonna give him that big boot. Back, back to Herman with you. All right, yeah. Judd. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, Judd. Thanks, brother. We'll see you.